0: Doing the numbers for me was definitely knowing what my exit strategy, being very clear and confident on my numbers and knowing exactly what, yeah, so that helped me give me the confidence to know what I was doing, definitely. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love.
1: Hello, it's Bernadette Jansen. and before we get into this episode, I need to remind you that the information in this podcast is general in nature and opinion only. It should not be taken as personal advice. There are significant risks with buying and renovating property, and you should maximise your profit potential and minimise your risk by seeking independent advice that relates to your personal circumstances through your own financial planner, accountant, and any other professionals that you are working with. The examples in this podcast are for illustrative purposes only. Bernadette Jansen back with She Renovate, the podcast for women who want to create an income and a life they love through renovating. And today I've got a really special guest who is renovating in a really tough market. So I thought it might be nice to hear from the other side of the country and we've got Julie Anglesey now Julie has really done the hard yards and she is flipping in the Perth or the Western Australian market and so of course the topic is renovating in a flat market so it's not declining anymore so we call it flat is that right Julie yep
0: we could call it flat yes Bernadette
1: (laughs) Okay, so um, welcome, Julie,
0: and it's really great to have you. Thank you. It's really great to be talking to you. I love yeah. it. What have you been up to this week? I have had a look at a couple of houses that are actually mortgagee in possession sales, um, but I still need to do my numbers on those, so I haven't got very far with those as yet. Basically, looking, for, I've, in my office work, uh, I've got a couple of work experience students from Year 11 coming in oh. to help me. So yeah, I've been teaching them stuff about marketing and Canva and Facebook and yeah, it's been fun.
1: Great. I always think it's sort of hard work because you've got to, to make their experience valuable, you really need to put a bit of time in on it, don't you? Yes,
0: yes that's it. But yeah, it's good. it's good getting the feedback and seeing their faces light up when they're learning new stuff. It's really good. Exactly.
1: So the first question I wanted to ask you is, I'm hoping this is gonna roll as a conversation So feel free to jump in because I always find it with podcasting, I do a lot on my own. So it's really nice to have another person on the other end. And when I listen to podcasts, I think it's always better if there's a bit of banter from a listener's point of view. So that's what we'll try and achieve today. And I'm sure we'll get better as we go along. Firstly, do you want to tell us a bit about your renovating and property journey?
0: Yes, sure, love to. I have always been interested in property as a vehicle for creating wealth. Uh, but I started out getting married in 1989 and building our first home on the outskirts of Perth in Joondalup. And at the time, interest rates were 17%. So we built a house and we we're both working full time basically just to pay the interest payments. And it was quite a booming market at the time as well. So. We were happy to get in, but it definitely wasn't easy making those repayments. I've been through the pain of 17% interest rates. From there, basically, we, we couldn't buy any other property at that stage. And then I soon became pregnant and we had three children. So I didn't work for about the next 10 years. So the next 10 years were just us, you know, making ends meet and bringing up young children, which was fun. As soon as I could get back into the workforce, I was very keen to start investing in property and looked at a couple of different ideas and tried a couple of things, but eventually... We hadn't really done any property education as such. So we met a house and land package salesman and he said, oh, you just need to build a house and by the end of it being built, it's going to be worth $100,000 more so you can sell it and then go again. And that's how you start getting yeah. money. And we thought, so we thought we'd believe this guy. So we built a house. We built it in Secret Harbour, which is 60 kilometres south of Perth. Sure enough, it had gone up by the time it was finished being built. It had gone up probably by about 80000 But then uh, we went back to him and he said, oh, no, you don't sell. You you hold on to it and you do it again. You just use the equity in that house. And we went, okay, that's what we'll do. We'll do it again. So this was pretty much 2006, 2007. So then we rented out the first house and started building the second house. And halfway through the build of the second house, the GFC hit and prices started going down, and we were just stuck with a half-built house. So we had to we had to continue on with it, knowing that we were just losing money every week, basically because things were plummeting. By the end of that um, house being built, we put it straight on the market and sold it for a loss. So definitely, my confidence was smashed at the time. We'd al- we'd already sold our house in, in um, up, so we were renting. So rather than sell the first house and land package that we built, I decided that I just wanted to move into it and just be in our own house. We, we, we would have lost money if we'd sold it anyway. So that's why I pretty much ended up moving from up, which is about 25 k's north of the city, to Secret Harbour, which is 60 K south of the city. But, yep, love Secret Harbour now, so I'm glad I live, live there. I still live there, but, but I've since sold that house as well. So what happened was I really had given up on property as a vehicle, But then we went and started getting ourselves educated. We went to some free seminars and then we bought some courses and we actually learned how to do it properly. And we realized that we'd done it all wrong, obviously. In doing that, I could see, I started getting hope again. So what I decided was, I definitely didn't want to be stuck building a house again because it just, I didn't want to be stuck in that market, even though, you know, it's probably not likely to happen again, but the pain of what I'd gone through was a bit too much for me. So for me, my strategy was always going to be, Flipping, buying and selling, and getting in and out quickly. Yeah. So, my husband and I found a house in Secret Harbour and it was just needed a quick cosmetic reno. Within four weeks of buying it, we already had it renovated and sold again, and we made a $36,000 profit on that. So, we decided, yes, we actually do know what we're doing now and we're doing it right. So, we went and straight away did another one in Mandra, which is sort of, um, oh, it's about 70k south of Perth. And we made 50,000 out of that. So we decided, yeah, we're definitely on the right track. However, unfortunately, life gets in the way, and my husband and I ended up getting divorced after 25 years of marriage. So I wasn't in a position to buy any more houses for myself. But because I'd now had the experience and the education, I knew that this is definitely what I wanted to do moving forward. So since that time, I've just been doing renovations with joint venture partners and that's been working out really well.
1: Awesome, so can we just take a step back? Actually, your house and land story wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, Or we have a lot of them come through the door. So what would you say the key thing was from your education that had you turn the ship around? Was there any one thing that you took from that that made a massive
0: difference? Doing the numbers for me was definitely knowing what my exit strategy was and being very clear and confident on my numbers and knowing exactly what yeah so that helped me give me the confidence to know what I was doing definitely
1: right yeah because I think well certainly well with anything really the more you learn the more you realize you don't know and so you can have your head in because there's just so much to learn but it's really I think interesting to see what the key things are that actually make the difference yeah
0: because I definitely had the you know like the belief that it could work but there was also the fear in there of me missing something and just you know missing something vital yeah Uh, so yeah once I got clear on the numbers um, it all fell into place for me
1: yeah you've done such a great job and that's really why I wanted to have you on the call because we as you know work with a lot of women who have, have had similar situations maybe not so much in the property but certainly in life and feel like that it's you know really hard to get going and it's really inspiring for them to hear someone who's actually done it and yeah. has made the best of her situation and is actually getting results so that's really brilliant well done
0: great Yes. Yeah, thank you um,
1: so in terms of your reno so i'm going off script a bit so don't worry about that but in terms how much work do you do yourself?
0: I don't do any of the hands-on work myself. I contract everything out. Like I I will, you know, I will do some gardening and some, you know, some general stuff and you know, loading up the skip bin and cleaning up the site, just general stuff, but I don't program myself in for any of the actual tasks that need to be done. I get in a handyman to do most of the general stuff. Um, As far as demo and, you know, like if it's ripping out tiles or whatever the case might be, fixing up a door, you know, all those kinds of things. And then I'll get the tradies in to build walls, do the plumbing, electricity. I'll get my handyman in to install a kitchen. The handyman's hourly rate is cheaper than a tradesman's hourly rate. So whatever I can get the handyman to do, I will. But generally, I won't be doing any, I won't be programming myself for any of those tasks. But I I am on site pretty much every day, because I will have a lot of, because I get them done quickly, I'll have a lot of people on site at one time. And there's always questions that come up. And so I find that I need to be there to answer those questions quickly, so that people don't make their own assumptions and get it wrong.
1: Yes. Well, I've I've got the opposite to that at the moment because I'm doing a project in Queensland and which is over a thousand kilometres. And so I'm just, I think I've been up three times so far and like I, re, I made a terrible mistake in letting the tiler tile when I wasn't there. And like he did an okay job, but there was just some grubby little details that if I had been there, I yep. would have sorted it out, but it was too late afterwards. Yes. Oh, so frustrating. Yes. But, yes. You definitely need to, particularly with the finishing trades, you've got to be there to make sure that they really toe the line because if left to their own own devices, they'll take the path of least resistance. Yep.
0: Or otherwise, or even not even that, it just can be that their vision is different to what yours is.
1: Yeah, I, I think in my situation, it was he was just, you know, pushing the envelope a bit. That's true. And I guess that's part of our job as renovators is to engage them in our vision. Yes. And so what sort of price point are the properties that you're renovating?
0: The buy price for all of the properties, I've oh actually the most expensive was the first one and that was 360,000 was the buy price. The one that I've done recently this year was the cheapest one and the buy price was 130,000. <gasps> that's amazing. And what is. did
1: you make on that?
0: $63,000 profit.
1: That's amazing. I know. So that's nearly 50%
0: profit. Yeah, pretty much. Well, when you look at the costs, all of the costs involved, it was a 35% profit on cost. Uh, Yeah, 35% return on cost, so everything. And that was in a three-month period. So that's a really fantastic return.
1: Awesome. Well done.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: So what's the market like in WA at the moment?
0: Okay, so it's still, as we've already spoken about, really flat. People, people are more optimistic than they were a couple of years ago. So two years ago, the rental vacancy rate was 7.3% in Perth, which is really, really high. Yeah, and property prices were going down, just no confidence at all in the market. But now, currently, the vacancy rate's 2.5%. And so that's usually the first sign of, you know, people starting to feel more confident that things are starting to improve. Yeah. Having, having said that though, I like to also look at the number of houses that are for sale in mm-hmm. Perth. Yeah. And in Perth, equilibrium is around the $12,000, oh, dollars sorry, 12,000 houses for sale is what you call equilibrium. Yeah. Currently, we've got 16,957 houses for sale so there's still a huge amount of supply on the market it's not like things are going to suddenly shoot up um, anytime soon yeah and in perth what we're find or what you know the when i talk to people they're saying that we really still need to get more population coming into perth so mining in the north has started increasing yeah but there's a there's a sentiment that people are still living in places other than Perth, like the Eastern States or New Zealand, and flying in and out and going back to their homes rather than setting up home in Perth. Yes. So until we start seeing a little bit more of the influx of population, the prices probably aren't likely to go up anytime soon. And what but the-, the confidence is there. The confidence is gaining.
1: Well, that's awesome. It's interesting. Uh, we've got a new student who is actually a mining engineer in Western Australia. And she, yes. was, she was saying that she sees it from the other side and she says that the future's not looking that yes. good for mining. So I don't really know what that means. But um, okay. she's not feeling that confident yep. about the market. So there you go. Julie, have you sent us some photos of, of your projects?
0: No, but I will do if you and like. It would be
1: really great to put some before and afters in the show notes.
0: Yes, Okay. Yeah. I'll do that.
1: In terms of your renos, are they mainly um, cosmetic or are you doing structural work as well?
0: No, they're all cosmetic because I want to get in and out quickly. Right. So it's all pretty much painting, new flooring, window dressings, gardening, new kitchen and bathroom, but not always. I've resurfaced a couple of kitchens and bathrooms and laundries as well. Yep. And in the last reno that I just did, the previous owner had like taken out walls to try and like taken basically got rid of a bedroom taken out a wall to make it like a walk-through area so in that I just put got the guys to put up a chip rock wall and turn it back into a bedroom so I turned it from a two by one into a three by one but very very easily so I still call that a cosmetic reno because there was no planning or you know approvals required it was just a matter of doing that. So
1: we always try to add some sort of And I think you're on the same track, some sort of uh, livability feature to push up the profit potentials. I call it a cosmetic plus, because if you're relying on just coat of paint and kitchen and bathroom, it's pretty hard profit, but by taking it from a two-bedder to a three-bedder,
0: you're taking it up class. And in in another reno I did, it was similar sort of like old 50s house. Uh, So I turned, it was a three by one turned the laundry, big laundry, into a combined um, bathroom and laundry. So, therefore, we turned it into a three-by-two from a three-by-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, and the other thing is, you Western Australians Australians like your double brick.
0: Yes, we do.
1: <laughs> one of the brick companies did a bit of a number on the timber industry and had this big publicity campaign about white ants at some point in history. And now right. all the houses, that's the norm, a double brick.
0: Yep, definitely the double brick. Prior to that, yeah, a lot of the houses were built out of asbestos, the timber framed ones. Yeah, yeah. and insulation was terrible in those houses, freezing in winter and stinking hot boxes in summer. So the double brick sort of were, houses were a lot more comfortable than those houses. Right. And yeah, I think that's probably from my memory where it started in the 60s yeah, yeah. And 70s yeah um, but having said that you know there's certain suburbs in Perth that are full of those old timber framed asbestos houses and like the one that I did this year the $63,000 profit one was an asbestos house and in that suburb people don't mind asbestos because all of the houses are built the same.
1: And on that subject how do you choose subject that you can flip in?
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I like to do. Is um, I like to choose a suburb that is within 30 minutes of my home, so that I'm not to I'm not having to drive too far because pretty full on when you are in the middle of your reno. So I like to not have to be too far away from it, yep. and um, I make sure that I you know when I'm actually searching in the first place, I only search in in suburbs that are within my price range, so that gets rid of all of that, you know, all the bright, shiny objects all around, knowing that I actually can't buy in those suburbs. So I just make sure that I fine tune that first before I even start looking. Another thing that I look for in a suburb is I check the days on market for that suburb. Because I want to sell quickly, I don't want to be stuck in a suburb where days on market is too high. In Perth, days on market is, it's fairly high, really, probably compared to what Sydney was. But what I do is I just I compare what the days on market in my suburb is with the days on market average for Perth, and if it's the average or lower, then it's at least it's a suburb that's turning over. So I like to check the days on market. So
1: what would it actually be like in terms
0: of days on market? Uh, the average days on market in Perth at the moment is seventy nine. Okay. So yes, yeah, so that's over two months. So if I found a um, suburb that's got 50 or 60 days on market I'd be thinking gee that's pretty good.
1: Yeah. And the other thing about that is that if you do your job well and you present your Reno well you should be able to do much better than the average in the mm-hmm. suburb anyhow.
0: Absolutely yes yeah. and that's exactly with this example that I've been talking about the cheap cottage. The days on market in that suburb I think was around 120 or might have been 90 it was it was fairly high anyway and But when I looked at it, I knew that most of the houses in that suburb were unrenovated original houses that people wouldn't want to live in. So I knew that a renovated cottage was actually going to sell a lot more quickly than the others. And then the other thing that I look at, which I also looked at in this suburb, is the supply versus demand in the suburb. Because I like to look into numbers and data, what I do is I check the... Um, it's the number sold in the past year. So that indicates the demand, basically, how many are selling in a year. And then I compare that to what's currently on the market for sale. So I go to realestate.com.au, which is the main search engine here in Perth and or in WA, and I untick the surrounding suburbs little box. So that gives me it, – it, and, uh, and I choose houses – that tells me exactly how many houses are for sale in that suburb. So, for instance, this suburb that I'm talking about, in the last year it had 41 houses sold and there's currently 15 houses for sale. So, that's almost like three to one supply versus demand. So, to, when I saw that, I could see well, there actually is demand in that suburb, even though days on market is high. I had a good reason why the days on market would have been high in that suburb, and that was because of the unrenovated, unlivable houses in the suburb.
1: Terry Ryder produces a report called Price Predictor, and it predicts movement, market movement, based on sales volumes, which is a little bit about what you're talking about. He's worked out that if if there's a surge in sales volume, volumes, that usually precedes a hike in the value. When you, um, you're you renovating in some of the really cheapest suburbs in Perth and I, I'm guessing some of these properties will be absolute renovators delights, like yep. verging on money pit, where
0: do you draw the line? Absolutely. Yeah. So this, this last one is a great example of that because the house was on a 728 square meter block, which it's not subdividable and it's a suburb like fuller every every block in that suburb is 728 square meters and all of the houses are small three by ones but the fences are all asbestos so and you know some of them don't look fantastic so when i looked at that property i thought okay you know like you, you could replacing the fences would be way too expensive but even painting the fences that was there was a lot of fences and there was also a fence dividing the backyard into two as well so and which would have needed painting on both sides. So, that, so that's just an example of what I do when I go and I'm in a suburb and I'm in a house that I'm renovating is I get to know exactly who the target buyer is. And in knowing who the target buyer is, that tells me where to draw the line. So the target buyers in this suburb were going to be first home buyers yeah. and none of the houses in that suburb had painted fences. And as I said, they're all asbestos um, houses as well. So originally I was gonna paint the fences because that's what I like to do. And then I just thought, no, there's another thousand dollars that I don't need to spend. So, because as remember, I don't, I don't do the physical labor. I need to pay someone to do it. Yeah, that was just one example of, okay, I'm just not gonna do that. I'm just gonna put some cheap plants in the garden and no one's even really going to notice these fences. That's how I make all of my decisions all the way through the renovation. I spend a bit of time getting into the head of exactly who that target buyer is, I'll check the census data and see who people are in that suburb and who lives there and that gives you a bit of information on you know what their hobbies are and like their work, their type of work So it also lets me know whether a shed, you know, like a tradesman's shed is a great selling point in a property, all of that. I also speak to the local agents and go to the home opens to just get a really good idea of what the other houses are like and what as far as appliances and, you know, all that kind of stuff goes. But talking to the agents just really gives you a fantastic insight into actually who's, who's purchasing these properties. So once I'm very clear on that, I'm pretty much throughout the whole renovation, I'm in that person's head. So for this renovation, I thought it was going to be a young 20s female that would buy it. So I pretty much when I was making decisions, that's who I was renovating for. But it ended up being a 23-year-old male, single male, first-time buyer that bought it. Similar, what I had chosen in the renovation suited him as well. Yeah, does that answer your question? I sort of went a bit all over the place it then, does. to be honest. Yeah.
1: It's it's interesting. And that's like, I think when you, well, certainly with newbie renovators, they tend to, can go a bit crazy and think yeah. they absolutely everything. And I always think, particularly in lower Price suburbs, that if it's too polished yep that they feel like they're being played
0: I I agree and it doesn't feel comfortable to them as well you know they need to walk in there and feel really comfortable like this is that they really need to emotionally connect with that home when they walk into it. That was another reason, even for the staging that I chose, there's quite a, there's a lot of staging companies around and, you know, there's a lot of beautiful stuff around, but I decided to go with the cheapest staging company and they really just had basic furniture and it was just stuff from fantastic furniture and Kmart and, you know, it wasn't wasn't high-end at all, but I knew that that Like everyone that walked in there said, wow, this looks amazing. If I was in a higher end suburb, I might have chosen potentially a different staging company with higher end furniture. But I knew that I wanted to connect with these first home buyers in, it's basically Perth's cheapest suburb. So I didn't want to go over the top.
1: Exactly, because if it looks like you've overdone it in terms of the renovation and the staging, then they start to look at the price as if it's overpriced. Yeah. Gone
0: overboard. Great point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I'll, t- I'll just tell you another thing that I did in that. It was a deceased estate that we bought. So, and the old guy who was like in his eighties, he'd had a heart attack and died in the house. I was very aware of, you know, whether there was any energy hanging around from him as well. So I got a couple of ladies in who were like energy cleansers, I suppose. Oh. So. I- <laughs> so I got everywhere. I told all the tradies that they had to be out at, at lunchtime this particular day for a, an hour or two. So these ladies came in and they just said, "No, just leave it. Leave it to us. You can go." And they did all this stuff, and they had candles going, and buckets of salt water, and yeah, you know, you know, bells, and all sorts of things. They walked out, and they said, "Yep, it's a beautiful house. It's got a beautiful feel." Yeah, pretty much everyone that walked in after that said, "Oh, this house. It's got such a great feel." <laughs>
1: wow wow (laughs) that's really thinking outside the
0: square (laughs) I wanted to cover all bases on that one
1: yeah that's great so do they have a business doing that
0: uh no not really because they didn't they actually didn't want payment so I just somehow I just I was thinking oh how am I going to what am I going to do about this energy you know when you sort of put it out there um someone just said to me oh actually my chiropractor's wife does that i'll give you her number okay cool (laughs) thank you awesome
1: okay Mm. so we're coming to an end and thank you for all the great value that you've given us today what i would like you to do now julie is just share maybe your three top tips for someone that's wanting to renovate in an area that's quite low budget or the, the market's flat or even do you worry about the market declining?
0: I don't necessarily, I don't try and sort of predict that because I, yeah, so my top three tips would be, so definitely get in and out quickly. Number two would be check what that supply versus demand is because that, if there's too much supply, that's probably going to indicate that there's, um, that prices might start declining or it might stay on the market for too long. So I find that number to be a really important number that I look at when I'm looking at, you know, finding a house in a low-end market and definitely know exactly who your target buyer is because that is what's going to help you decide exactly what you're going to do in your renovation and then you won't overdo it.
1: Brilliant. So thank you very much for that. But anyone wanting to get in touch with you, how do they do that?
0: Okay, I've got a Facebook page called renovating made easy so you can definitely like that on there there are my contact details i've got a website um, called renovating made easy i'm on instagram pinterest and youtube i do have some youtube how-to videos on how to actually what i described about how you find the supply versus demand Um, i go through that so that you can actually see what sites to go to Um, Yeah, so that's how you can get in contact with me. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks so much for that. I know that our listeners will have got enormous value from that. Thank you. Can I I ask if you're listening and if you haven't already done this, if you would like to go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review so that other women who are in this situation... Um, have the benefit of actually finding out about us and coming over and listening to the She Renovates podcast. So, and on that note, I will sign off and say thank you to Julie and
0: thanks to our listeners and see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, Bernadette. That was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. This is the She Renovates podcast.